my name is Chris Garcia. And I'm Rhonda Solis. And, and we're, we're Latino, Latino Northern, Northern Colorado. Colorado. In our last episode, we had the opportunity to interview a creator, member of our community and Latino leader, Mr. Ray Romero. He shared a bit about his experience, talked about how he brought people in and built networks, and gave us ideas on how we can continue this work moving forward. In this month's Did You Know, we wanted to highlight Hispanic Heritage Month. Each year, Americans observe National Hispanic Heritage Month from September 15th to October 15th by celebrating the histories, cultures, contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. The observation started in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week under President Lyndon Johnson and was expanded by President Ronald Reagan in 1988 to cover a 30-day period starting on September 15th and ending on October 15th. It was enacted into law on August 17, 1988, on the approval of Public Law 100-402. The day of September 15 is significant because it's the anniversary of independence for Latin American countries, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, Nicaragua. In addition, Mexico and Chile celebrated their Independence Days on September 16th and on September 18th. Viva! <laughs> respectively. Also, Indigenous Peoples Day, also known as Dia de la Raza, falls within this 30-day period. And I'm sorry, but I celebrate this stuff every day. It's not just in these 30 <laughs> That's days. That's right. right? <laughs> so we're really excited to celebrate, and we hope that you'll celebrate along with us. In this month's segment, we're eager to have a conversation on difference, inclusion, equity, and so many other topics that at times feel difficult for us as humans to have. Especially as we've seen so many instances of racism, discrimination, and bias across our country and in our local communities. And when we see instances like El Paso, Mississippi, and even recently at CSU and Fort Collins. To help us discuss these issues, we've invited Dr. Katrina Rodriguez to this month's podcast. Dr. Rodriguez is the Vice President for Student Affairs at the University of Northern Colorado. In her role, she partners with students, staff, and faculty to identify and implement strategic initiatives to build and support a healthy and inclusive university community. As the first in her family to graduate from college, Dr. Rodriguez received her bachelor's and master's degree from Northern Arizona University and her doctorate from the University of Northern Colorado. As a UNC professor, Dr. Rodriguez found great joy in creating strong pathways to increase the number of students of color entering and graduating master's and doctoral degrees. She has loved her work as a student affairs professional over the past 26 years because she gets to be inspired daily by passionate, creative, and dedicated students who turn their dreams into realities. Welcome. Thank you so much, Rhonda and Chris. It's great to be here with you. We are excited to have you. And this is a tough so conversation. <laughs> so, yes, Absolutely. thank you for being here. Of course. So, what I kind of wanted to start with was actually defining certain terms. I sure. think that's a good way to kind of start into this conversation mm -hmm. and making sure that we understand the terms. So, we'll just kind of give you some terms and just you give us your definition and we'll kind of go from there. If Absolutely. That works. That's great. Okay. So, the first one would be identity. Sure. So the sense of identity is, you know, what groups we belong to as we determine for ourselves what groups we belong to, but also how other people see us. So in some cases, you know, we might identify as a parent, a student, a daughter. In when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, which I, if it's okay if I call that DEI, then um, what that means is sort of how we've constructed these groups in, um, in our society. So like race, gender, sexual orientation, 
um, socioeconomic status or SES, ability, those kinds of things. So it's sort of, you know, we own it, but also as a Latina, how people might view me, they might, they see me as Latina because of how I hear. So quick question sure. on that. I, I hear all the time this idea of intersecting identities. Yes. Can you explain that a little bit? Do our, I guess, intersecting identities differ based on what someone might see versus what we actually are? Oh, this is such a good question. And I'll use my, myself as example in a lot of these because I um, feel like I can describe it a little bit better. So in terms of intersecting identities, so I would call myself a Latina female, right? Somebody who does not belong to the LGBTQ community, um, somebody who is able-bodied, um, and at present, you know, I have a more affluent SES because of my position at the university, because of my educational status, if you will. So those intersect. So do I, you know, so part of it is, okay, coming from a working class family, I, I probably exhibit some values about, well, this still works, so why should I get a new phone? My old phone works, you know? And, and so I think that way, but if somebody were to see me, they might perceive me as somebody, maybe by the way I dress or those kinds of things as somebody who maybe has a higher income, for let's say. And so the other things, you know, so I probably don't think about that I'm able-bodied because that's a, a sense of privilege. I don't have to worry about that unless I choose to, right? But my intersections of gender, race, age, right? Probably in that age range yeah. where I where I may be taken seriously versus somebody who's really young or, or much more mature um, in age. So Does that make sense? Uh -huh. Yes. A follow-up question based specifically on all of these different identities. Yes. There were things that you brought up that I never think of, right? Okay. And, and, you, and you talked about that being privilege. Uh-huh. Uh, where would someone get a list of different identities or learn about the different identities that someone can, can carry or can, can be part of them? Well, and to be conscious yeah. of it. Like maybe, you know, we don't because of our privilege, but what are those that we should be conscious of that we just take for granted? Sure. So typically um, it's called the big eight. So you could look up identity or, you know, privileged identities or, or dominant identities would be like internet. Um, there's... A really great book I like it's by Alan Johnson and it's called power privilege and difference and he really talks about these things so the question being what are they so we can look at race gender sexual orientation age socioeconomic status or SES ability you know of course I'm drawing a blank on the other two so so these are all things that that are the way that society has categorized those, right? We and so there's sort of this notion of big eight, but there are also immigration status, yeah, you know, nationality, country of birth, right? Um, also a language, right? Oh yeah. Because thinking about um, in the United States, English is the privileged language, mm -hmm. and so those who don't speak English are somehow seen as other or not maybe as smart or you know Less all the than, kind of right mm -hmm. that what is normal is English so anything else outside of that box right mm -hmm. I'm an immigration status even hearing foreign right like that's that's foreign even though when we say the state we're from we're speaking Spanish <laughs> yes. yes exactly well <laughs> actually <laughs> mm -hmm. okay we can Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. And that we're not one or the other, but it's maybe how we also identify, you know, what, what identities for us come, come forward for ourselves. And based on our surroundings, if I'm around a lot of other 
Latinos, I, I feel very comfortable. I can sort of, you know, be in group. If I'm a, in a, other types of groups, I might really notice my um, race and ethnicity. What's, yeah. what's kind of interesting, too, I mean, I think that there are things that you can't change. They just are. Correct. And then things that we choose. Like, I know and the biggest example I always uh-huh. use is sports. Mm-hmm. Like, you have people that are from Texas or have family in Texas, and they've always, you know, rooted for the Dallas Cowboys. Sure. And then they move to Colorado, and they're still Cowboy fans. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't give that up. Right. They don't become Bronco fans. Yes. But it's interesting how people have, you know, historic heritage and family right. and they automatically think that they should give that up but it's like football's so trivial and that you know people are just you know they pick a side they pick a team and they stick with it mm-hmm. but then yet when it comes to your culture and your history that seems people just assume that that's so easy to let go and you I can just, just like wash it away yes, yes I've struggled with that notion and I always use that example because uh-huh. I mean people are such diehard football fans right. it's like why would you expect that or if you went to a certain college and now you're in Greeley you don't automatically go UNC is my school you still have this alumni feeling this yes. connection to yes. whatever college you went to right but I don't see how I mean you're not expected to let that go but heritage and family and culture mm-hmm. that is different right. and viewed different so I get frustrated with that yes but I think it also comes from the idea that like the privileged culture right expects everyone else to just let go yes. of what they are and become assimilate yes. to this new space right because it's normal mm-hmm. But that's exactly what I'm talking about. So it's expected there, but there's so many instances that people get passes. It's it's okay. You know, they're they're from there, that's why they do that, that's why they root for them. And one of the biggest frustrations for my husband Mm -hmm. is Nebraska fans, Mm -hmm. because he's a CU fan. So just that rivalry. Mm -hmm. But it's like just because you moved here, that doesn't mean you let go of that. And there's still so many Nebraska fans here. Mm-hmm. So that conversation is always interesting to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So again, on that conversation, there's certain yes. ones that you have that you can't change necessarily. Correct. And you get to decide how involved you are in that certain sector. But then there's others that you choose, that you've had you know, some kind of exposure to within your life that you kind of choose to hold on to. So you have like these two dual things in trying to figure out where you fit, who you are, and how you want to present yourself forward. Right. And also then how people perceive us, right? Because, you know, as somebody who has darker skin, darker features, you know, it's pretty easy to tell I'm not white. <laughs> I don't have those features. And so how people perceive me, so if I'm in a, when I first got here and I was a doctoral student, I remember going to Fort Collins in particular, and I'm in a, a department store, and I truly felt like somebody's watching me. Now, I was in probably really casual clothes or, you know, a sweatshirt or something, and I had this feeling, and, I, and there were a number of times I went and I thought, I'm being watched. And I hadn't really noticed that before, but how I look, or, or somebody speaking to me first in Spanish, right? And um, I unfortunately don't speak Spanish, or very much anyway. And so these perceptions of who I am, or as a female, right? So, so some of it's what we choose to engage in, or what we have consciousness about more so. And then other parts of how people perceive us. Kind of placed on you. Correct. So think about somebody who's transgender, the understanding of, well, how can you change your gender? That's how you were born. And for folks who are transgender, and, and, and there's, you know, lots of ad- different experiences that folks who are transgender have. And so wanting to have your body 
look and feel the way you feel on the inside versus what was ascribed to you at birth that you have particular anatomical parts or whatever. So if somebody sees, you know, some folks, you can't tell what their gender is or their sex because they don't ascribe to a particular male or female, right? Yeah. Kind of fluid. It's fluid, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so then how do people perceive somebody? You know, and well, so, and I think that's hard for people because we are such a society of putting people in boxes. Yes. Like somebody has to fit and be in a box. So I'm sure that's yes. very uncomfortable for right. people because they want to put them in a box, and they're just like, "No, I'm not gonna be in a box. Right. This is who I am. Yes, you're just gonna have to deal with yes. it." And that takes such courage. Uh-huh. I am so mm-hmm. enamored of the courage that they right. show. Mm-hmm. And although it's been, you know, kind of a, an ongoing thing for decades, mm-hmm. and it wasn't so easy before, and there's still a lot that live, a lot of them that live in fear. Right. Um, but they're still starting to be more courageous and come out mm-hmm. and and really start to participate right. in things. And I definitely consider myself an ally. Uh-huh. And so yeah, I, I their courage is uh, is amazing to yes, me. Yes, absolutely. You know, and adding to that piece of what people place on you. A lot of times, just being a Latino who is well-spoken, yes, folks automatically say, well, are you half, right? Or are you Brazilian? I've been, I've been Indian from India, Brazilian, Filipino, Hawaiian, literally anything other than Mexican, yes. just because I don't speak with an accent, mm-hmm. or because I'm taller, or because my skin is maybe slightly lighter shade than, you know, other folks. And it's just been really interesting because I feel like I wear my culture and my identity on my sleeve all the time, right? Soy Latino, soy Mexicano. Uh Uh And yet a lot of times people just kind of try to force this different identity onto you and saying, oh, well, you speak so well. You're so articulate. Yeah, (laughs) but yeah. Well, and I think the other part of that is... The generational thing mm-hmm. and how you start to lose stuff, kind of like what you were talking right. about, not speaking Spanish. Right. It ends with my generation. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like so upset and frustrated with that. But I would have never fought for it before because of me trying to go through that identity process of what I am and how I am mm-hmm. and what it is to be brown, especially when you're in a community where there's a lot more Caucasians. Mm-hmm. And so I think you really struggle mm-hmm. of even what you interpret people think of you because it's already what you think of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so that you know inner conversation that you have about yourself plays into that too. So And, and trying to dissect that right. is, yes. is difficult, especially yes. at a young age. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because how many of us, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm making an assumption. These conversations are complex and you know you have to have done a lot of reading or other conversations or understanding the details and so at a young age when are we really talking about these things Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my dad sharing a story we live next to a family who were white and the the daughter we're the same age and she had long blonde hair had really short dark hair and uh, he said I was about three and I came in the house and said what's a Mexican And he said, well, why are you asking that? And Debbie said her dad doesn't like Mexicans. So what's a Mexican? And my dad said his heart was just breaking. He's like, okay, we live next door to these people. Clearly she and I play together. And he's like, how do I say how racist that is? Or not make, he didn't want me to feel afraid of that. But of course, she's, my friend has heard this from her family. And so 
but how does he talk to me about that at three? Yeah. You know, much later in life, he shared that with me. One, how do you have that conversation and it not impact your friendship that you've developed yes. with this young girl? Yes. So, exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was recently at High Plains Chautauqua mm-hmm. and there was a woman there who, it, it, there was a conversation around race that happened. It didn't happen at quite the level mm-hmm. <laughs> that I've, you know, being one of the only people of color that I thought should have happened at, right? Sure. But one of the women there, most of the folks were over 65, white, and uh, didn't really have a lot of experience with these types of conversations. But she said, I come from the San Luis Valley and there are a lot of illegals there. And, you know, in my own brain, I said, well, actually, the San Luis Valley has historical Latino populations that have been here for generations and the, the border crossed them. And, you know, this is internal conversations that I'm having with myself just because I know this history. And she said, and I remember when I was in middle school, I told my friend, I called him a wetback. And he said, wow, that really hurt. I thought we were friends. And she said that to her, it was just all of her family said the word wetback. It should be fine. And she was just using this word over and over again. And I finally had to turn around and say, you know, can you stop? Because that not only that word, but other words, spick, beaner, and also the N-word were also used during this session. Oh and I was like, these, these white folks were just using it so liberally. Mm-hmm. And it was just being one of the four people of color in this room with 65 white folks, it, it was... Even when the N-word was used, I felt personally attacked, and, and I'm, I don't ascribe to black right. identity or anything like that, but I was saying, why are you able to use this word so liberally and, and it be okay? Well, I think that kind of goes back to a conversation that we had been having before about just there is a certain power group that has been in the community, and this is just the way they flow within the community, mm-hmm. and it's always been accepted. Mm-hmm. No one calls it you know, calls them on it and it's just allowed. Mm -hmm. And so when you get to a situation where someone like you, Chris, is in that space, they totally don't get it. Mm -hmm. They absolutely don't get it. Mm -hmm. And then it's that, you know, that conversation, that tough conversation. How do we have that? And then sometimes you get frustrated. It's like, I don't always want to be that person that has to explain everything and get (laughs) you guys to understand why that is so bad. It's just almost exhausting. Mm -hmm. So how do we work through that in this community? Absolutely. We'll we'll get to that question in a little bit. You'll you'll have time to think about that, Katrina. So definitely like start writing your notes because we're solving this tonight. But no, we're not. No, we're not. Um, But there are several other terms to define. So maybe let's (laughs) start defining a few more. We can Um, talk about that. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. So you kind of touched on identity, diversity. Um, What about equity. So actually, um, Dr. Angie Piccioni, who's the executive yes, director at I love Angie. Yes, CDHE, she used this the other day when I saw her, and so I thought I would share it with you. She talks about diversity in terms of who's in the room, and is there appropriate representation of, of folks who are in the room. Now, that doesn't mean like there's 65 white people, and there's one Latino, one black, one, you know, that we, that there's a, um, a representation. Inclusion, then, is do those who are in the room have voice and power to make decisions, mm-hmm. right? That is there a power differential based on identity of folks in the room, right? And then she talked about equity. Are we focused on the success of those who are in the room? 
or we focus on success and looking at where gaps are. So when we think about like educational equity gaps in higher education or, or really education in general, who's succeeding and who's not? Mm-hmm. And folks should be su- succeeding at the same level. And so part of the structures that exist that really creates um, institutional racism, right? There's a reason why that is there and it's because we don't look at it and we don't hold ourselves accountable to understand why that's happening. It's much easier to say, well, if the students were more prepared or if you know they cared about their education, this wouldn't happen because the white students don't do that. When in fact, it's how are we teaching? Who are the examples that we're using in our materials? You know, we have to be equitable in terms of how we're, what it is that we're expressing in a class in in various modes. I think I'm a little bit off topic, but the sense of, you know, equal is also different than equitable. Well, and that's one conversation that I had recently, even as a school board member, we started talking about our mission and our vision. And one of the words that really hit me was access. And that really makes the difference. And I think, kind of like when you were talking about redlining, it's one thing when we as a population decide that we want to live together, mm-hmm. you know, and we want to stay in this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But when you make it where we have to, yes, mm-hmm. that's different. And I think sometimes people are like, well, we created this and you guys didn't show up. And so you guys must want to just live in, you know, together right. in your, and so we're just going to keep creating that. It's like, no, we should always have that access yes. and we make the decision as to whether we want to do that or not correct are we even able to make that decision and so when we talk about these things especially like in our community in our district access is a huge thing it's like you can't pick and choose when you want parents to participate if they don't have the same access as everyone else and this is a conversation Katrina that we also had during our success foundation board meeting in the fact that a lot of times what we talk about as a district and we, what we talk about as a board is how important pairing engagement can be, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we think about it in a very middle class way, yes. right? That we're like, well, I have access to a babysitter. I know what being involved means. My parents were involved when I was in school. I know what a booster club is. You know, I, I know all of this language and this jargon. Right. And... At the same time, like I have the time to do that, exactly. right? We don't think about folks that have multiple jobs. We don't think about folks who aren't able to pay for childcare. Right. We don't think about folks who barely can put food on the table. So where are their kids gonna get food when they're helping to volunteer? We don't think about these things in the way of other folks. We simply think about them in the way of how will I see it and what's my perspective. And so we really had to have this conversation during that time period because it was like, you say that you want parents to be involved, but you're not thinking about things in the way that they might find things valuable. Or you're saying parents only, but what if I'm a grandma? Mm -hmm. Or what if I'm just a family friend that's taking care of this child and I care equally about this child's well-being, but I'm not invited to that table? Right. Absolutely. And I think about that in the sense of, like you said, Chris, the sense of, you know, we think of this middle class again, maybe white. I mean, I, there could be some differentiation there, but we also think of it. Involvement looks like this instead of what does in, and so we base it on that. And so if you're not doing that, therefore you're not involved, right? It's sort of a, there's that box again. Exactly. And (laughs) it's an either or not a spectrum. Uh Um, I knew a student who did some research and it was talking about parental involvement, getting their students prepared to go to college. And what she found in um, interviewing um, Latina college students and their, their families 
And what she discovered was, which, you know, again, sort of discounting what involvement looks like or preparation. And then what these families talked about is how they prepared their students and the conversations that they had. It was different. Mm -hmm. And yet the meaning behind that was so powerful for these families. And so again, what's sort of the norm, right? We have to keep thinking about that. Everything then is based on this norm. And then that's why you're having to actually bring it up and say, uh, excuse me, you know, if this person's not getting paid because they're at this meeting or at this volunteer function, then that makes a difference that somebody who's getting paid for their time off. Yeah. Right? And not everybody does. Yes, exactly. And even like when you see schools that have volunteers, parent volunteers, that looks very different depending on what neighborhood you're in sometimes. And I don't think that we think about that and Mm -hmm. uh, we take a lot of that for granted. Mm -hmm. And we don't make opportunities to meet them where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the the key things that we as a community and a district really need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like what you were saying, if it's not your life, if that's not what you have to think about on a daily basis, then it's totally out of your head. Mm -hmm. And so until you're really conscious and deliberate in changing that, it won't change. It'll continue to be to be the same. Agreed. I want to thank you for bringing us back to this norm idea mm-hmm. again, just because it's just making me think so differently mm-hmm. as well right now. And the fact that a lot of times it's what is normal is right and what is not is foreign. Yes. And mm-hmm. just blowing my mind a little bit, Katrina. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> We knew you were the perfect guest. See, this is why I called you. (laughs) So some other words that are tough words are are prejudice and bias. Yes. And so prejudice and bias are pretty much, you know, interchangeable in the sense that prejudice, you know, how we think and feel about people. And they're sort of at the individual level, right, that I, based on an experience, I think that somebody from X population does these kinds of things, right? And that's my perception. And so I may treat that person differently. So when we think about, you know, privilege and and some of the conversations we've been having, you know, again, sort of (laughs) what is normal, you know, if, if we're elevating whiteness as normal, then it's above people of color. It's a belief that whites are smarter, that, and any negative feelings about people of color, fear, distrust, a sense of they're lazy because they don't have a home in a upper-class neighborhood when we know that there are times still today where certain folks can't buy a house or gentrification in terms of you know folks moving in and taking over and so they didn't pull themselves up by the bootstraps right <laughs> when they only have chanclas <laughs> Exactly. And I think another aspect of this Mm -hmm. is there's a conversation that even needs to happen with us Latinos. Mm -hmm. I know that there's differences as far as how many generations you've been here. And it's like, you know what? We've been here and we're not those. So don't treat us like that. And one of the conversations we have is around the raid. Because when they went to the Swift plant, they didn't care how many generations you were in. You had brown skin, you were lumped into it. And I think that was a really hard thing to wrap your brain around if you had been in this community for Mm -hmm. a long time Mm -hmm. and you didn't consider yourself as one of those. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden you're being lumped in and and they didn't care. And so I think that's even a conversation for us as Latinos Mm -hmm. to have. And I know even within my family, there's been some of that. And it's just so frustrating. But a lot of that too is 
we don't want to be the bottom of the totem pole. Yes, correct. We don't want to be there. As long as we're not there, then we're okay. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, when Muslims, when that was a huge thing, it was like that was the only break Latinos got. It was all about us. We were the bottom of the Mm -hmm. totem pole. And then Muslims are now the new people to be Mm -hmm. pointing fingers Mm -hmm. at and be afraid and talk about all these derogatory things. Obviously, it hasn't changed with Latinos. They still go after us, too. Mm -hmm. But there was this other group that really hadn't been brought up, especially in this community. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't even in existence. That Mm -hmm. conversation would never happen. And now we see a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I heard a really interesting thing the other day, if it's okay to bring it up. Um, The notion of totem poles. So as you were sharing that, and somebody um, that I know who um, identifies from an indigenous community talked about the totem pole and the person at the bottom is actually the strongest person mm-hmm. holding everybody up. And I had I literally just heard this like two days ago. And I thought, how fascinating. And I wonder where the concept came from of... Bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, low low man on the totem pole. I've heard that. And so it's almost like being stacked upon. So, I, you know, it's but just it's interesting. But it's almost like if they find pride in that then we're going to change that and we're going to make it yes. look like it's a bad yes. thing. Now it's a oh, bad thing. You're so and right. And so I just robbed you of that and that's that was the whole intent yes. of it. Correct. To minimize. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Take that away from yeah. you. Interesting. So another thing that we kind yes. of talked about was privilege. Yes. And I think that's a really tough word right now for a lot of different people. And I know there's there's a a comedian that just had a Netflix special and you know she's white and she goes out there and she starts having this conversation with other white people. And it's just interesting. She she used to date black people. And it's Chelsea Handler. Oh, okay. And so she actually goes back to go talk to the boyfriend that she had when she was growing up. And they were both being horrible kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, they were both totally being horrible. On drugs. Yes, yes. Doing criminal acts, things like this. And yet she was always let go by the police. And he, as a black man, always had... And he actually had just served like 13-year sentence... And she always thought that it was because they thought that she was a good kid. She didn't realize that it had to do with her whiteness. Right. Oh, absolutely. Right? That That's a structural discrimination. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, Rhonda. I like interrupted. Oh, right? no, no, it's fine. <laughs> Obviously, but I was like, I just watched it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so great, right? Because we see, to be able to see those examples from people that are on TV or whatever. But it was interesting because then when she would talk to, it was some conservative older white women and a lot of them were just like, mm, yeah, we think everything is fine. We don't see racism. I, I had to pull myself up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't happen anymore. You guys are free now. You guys yes. are good. <laughs> and when a few of us get through, it's like, see, you all are successful. Yes, right. You know, um, we're now in post-racial uh, America because we had a black president. Yep. You know, that's the sort of thought of, well, we're done. It's like, oh, dear. No, we're not. <laughs> well, and I know I've been criticized by some people because I've always, you know, gone to marches and, you know, I will march with people. And it's like, but that's not your life. You know, you've been here for a long time. Why would you do that? You're fine. It's like, because I know not everyone right. has that. Right. I wish it for everyone. Mm-hmm. And that's why I right. go out there. Right. I go out of my comfort zone. Even though I could, you know, just be living my life and just do what I do. I recognize mm-hmm. that not everyone has that. Mm-hmm. And somebody fought for it before me. Right. And I'm going to continue to do that fight. Correct. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone else, also a Latino who said, I'm fighting for people and they're not even fighting for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I had to have this internal conversation with this person to be able to say, you have the opportunity to do this. This is a privilege that you have. It's a privilege and and an honor that I take on when I'm Mm -hmm. fighting for folks as well. 
But I also acknowledge that not everyone has mm -hmm. the knowledge, the time, the passion. Mm -hmm. Some people are just trying to live, mm -hmm. right? They, they literally want to make it to the next day mm -hmm. because they have work, they have kids, or their main passion is making sure that their kids make it to the next day, mm -hmm. right? They don't have time to think about themselves or anything else mm -hmm. beyond that. And so they don't have the privilege to be able to say, well, I need to fight for these things because they just, they may not have the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I think people don't recognize too, I mean, if I go to a march and I have my sign, I participate and then I go back to my house. I mean, if I get in trouble or anything like that, I know that there's a process that I have to go through, but for some, they literally get deported. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not even just like they're going to find their way back home. Right. It could be them moving you to a whole different country. And I think sometimes people don't understand that kind of, I mean, mm -hmm. they're very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, me going out mm -hmm. and doing this helps, mm -hmm. even though I go back to my house, then I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. Right. Well, and that's that sense that we you know as we were starting to talk about privilege. Our privilege in being U.S. citizens allows us to go to those spaces and we can march and, and, and protest without that fear because we're not going to be deported. You know, we might get rounded up like in the swift raid, but as soon as our citizenship is known, then we'll, well not go. I, right? Sometimes. I mean, there's been people that have That person been that was like three and, weeks or a yeah, month, like yeah. locked up. Oh, that's goodness, a little scary. Right. But we have, that's using our privilege as yeah. citizens to be able to. Come. You know, when I was younger, we moved to Mexico and. Being an immigrant in Mexico was really interesting because I was thought of as the American, right? Right, right. It was like, tu eres el pocho. You're an American person living in Mexico. And it was like, what? Right. <laughs> like, I'm Mexicano. I'm Latino, you know? But as soon as you made it to the border, all I had to say was American citizen. And it was like, cool. Yeah. But, but they see my dad and they're like, papers, please. Mm -hmm. Right? So they immediately ask him for his documentation yeah. And I don't know what it is, if there's like a look, <laughs> but they automatically look in the car when it's my mom and my sister and my nephews and it's immediately like, oh, all American citizens? Yeah, okay. They let us pass. Mm -hmm. But as soon as somebody, I, I, and I don't even know how this happens, but a brother-in-law or my dad, they immediately know. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, like, I don't know how, what kind of training Border Patrol goes through, but they somehow know to ask that person for their documentation. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's mind blowing to me. And every time it happens, now I recognize that and I'm like, dang. Mm -hmm. What's like, that list? Yeah. What's on that list? Well, and again, identity, how you're perceived, right? Mm -hmm. Versus how maybe your dad is perceived. That, okay, that's a question there. Is it the shade? Is it the smile? Is it... The hat I'm wearing. <laughs> is yeah. it the man bun? I don't know. No, just kidding. <laughs> you did not have a no, man No, I bun. don't. Okay. okay. You scared me that So I think we were talking about prejudice, or, uh, privilege, defining yes. privilege. Okay. So privilege is a hard concept, and it's really complicated to, to sort of parse it out. Privilege exists when one group has something of value that is denied to others simply by the groups they belong to or their identities, right? So something that, again, what is normal or what, you know, not getting arrested, Chelsea Handler is a white girl at the time or whatever, and then her boyfriend. Um, and so privileges that, oh, well, you're probably a good girl, but this boyfriend of yours, yeah. he's black, he's probably, right, all the, all the ideas. So he's not given the same pass that maybe she did, right? And, and I think privilege is challenging because it really implies that if I'm in a privileged group, then somehow I must be benefiting from something. And in our 
in our daily lives, we might not feel like, you know, so somebody, let's say, who's a white male, non-LGBTQ, has ability, affluent, they might say, well, I have these other problems, you know, and all this in my family or my job is really hard or and, and real things. I'm not trying to be facetious, but there's a sense of I'm not privileged. Yeah. And yet how the person with those identities gets, goes through life is a privilege compared to say uh, a Latino man yeah. with maybe similar identities and maybe maybe some not. So there's a defensiveness about, hey, don't say I have privilege or I'm privileged because if I were privileged, I would make I'd make a million dollars instead of what I make, right? Yeah. And and so that's not the piece of it. So kind of around yeah. that. Yeah. One of the things for me that that gets really frustrating is this conversation of if you just do this, this, and this, yes. you're going to be fine. You'll be accepted. No one's going to say anything about you. And that is a misnomer. Correct. And it's it's very hard for kiddos when you sit there and give them this list. If you do these things. And then they had that gut punch moment when no matter how well they did all of those things, there will still be someone there to tell them, you're not enough. Yes. I think you're something else. I don't care that you've done all these things. I'm going to assume who you are. Yes. I'm going to treat you this way. And it is a horrible, horrible experience. And I think as a person of color, all of us have those gut punch moments. Oh, for sure. And it's so frustrating. I, you know, We were in a, a group uh, before and we were having a conversation kind of around all of this. And I had to do my story again. It's like, my son has graduated from high school. He went to Ames. He has a graphic design degree. He's never been in trouble with the law. And yet, and he passes a background check because he works with kids at Goal Academy. He has all of those checks. He's done all that hard work. And yet he goes downtown here in Greeley and there's certain places that won't let him in because he's a brown kid with tattoos. And he passes a background check. I don't know how many people enter those spaces that can pass a background check right. and they're in there and here's my son and he can't go in mm -hmm. there. And mm -hmm. it's those things that get right. so frustrated because it's like, well, if they just didn't do this or if they just didn't do that. No, 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 no. He's done all those things and yep. yet this still happens. Right. And I think that's really hard for people to wrap their brain around because they just think if you just stick to the rules, right. everything will be just right. fine. But the systems are based on how the system privileges folks. Yeah. So a few examples, like you're saying, if a white person goes into a public space, they most likely aren't going to be asked why they're there. Other people are, so what are you doing here? Yeah. Right? What? What do, you, do you need something? Right, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Sorry, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, going shopping. A white person might not expect to be seen as a shoplifter or somebody who's going to be questioned about a credit card or that has money to pay. This one um, that certain people are expected to succeed, or they're not surprised if somebody says, particularly white males, I suppose. But oh, you're an astrophysicist. Oh, that's so great. Wow, that's exciting. A female, female of color. So what do you do? I'm an astrophysicist. Really? Like, well, how did you get that kind of job? What it, you know, there's all the questions. I remember somebody talking about, we're standing in line somewhere, and they were talking about that they got into Harvard. It was a uh, student of color. And the person right in front of them said, you mean the one in Massachusetts, that Harvard? You got in there? This question of, wow, how <laughs> did you, you mean the real Harvard? And you know, I just watched her face fall because she was talking about how excited and all the work she had done and to get accepted and all this stuff. And it was sort of like, well, oh, how did you get in there? Yeah. Right? So that, like those that gut belong. punch moment. Right. Yeah, that so, gut punch moment. So that's sort of like this at the personal level, people enact all these things based on prejudice, bias, what they've been taught, 
what they know. And but the systems continue to support that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, a path of least resistance. Well, one, I don't have to think about it because it's not my reality. I just I just walk around my day and not think about it. And then the system continues to, you know, tenured faculty. What do those numbers look like? To find women of color, men of color, very, very few. And think about CEOs. Oh, well, look how many women are, you know, there's this many CEOs. When you look at the whole number, yeah. it's so different, right? There's a small amount. So folks are hiring people like them because they've done well, right? And in the school systems, who's been privileged to, you know, I think you should go to STEM. Oh, I think you maybe want to do something else and maybe the, you know, I don't, I don't want to put down any particular... But, you know, who maybe like doesn't get you should encouraged. belong in a trade or something like that. Exactly. Oh, I, yeah. Right? Instead of pushing somebody toward a STEM or a, mm-hmm. a law degree or whatever. Or know? even pushing them away from going to college. Yes. I've heard lots of yes. conversations about young people who, their counselor just, I mean, flat out told them, yeah, you know, maybe college isn't for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But going back to this conversation, I really yeah. wanted to talk about, I think that folks have to be open to talking about their privilege as well. I had a colleague who told me, Chris, I come from a single parent family. We were the poorest of the poor. How can I have privilege? I I hear you talking about white privilege. Uh I hear people talking about white privilege. We lived in a one room trailer and I had to do this and I had to work since I was 14. And this was kind of one of the first times that I was asked this directly, right? And so I wanted to do it right. And so I actually reached out to Trish and Trish Escobar at UNC and and I called her and I said, Trish, is there anything that you can provide me that can help me have this conversation with this person? And Trish said, first, let's talk about unpacking the white knapsack, right? right? So she she gave me that resource. She sent (laughs) me the resource, unpacking the white knapsack. And she asked me to give it to my colleague as well. And so we both read it and I said, let's read through this and then let's have a continuous conversation. We ended up continuing this conversation and she said, well, yeah, I see a lot of this stuff, but this is based on like a middle class white woman, right? I was not that person. I was poor. I had to do this. I had to work. And I said, okay, well, let's just continue this conversation. I said, you're about the same age as my mom, but you're in a very different position that my mom is in. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you this. What did your mom work in? Well, my mom worked at a bank. Oh, okay. I said, how did your mom get the job at the bank? And she said, oh, well, her dad knew the bank owner. And I said, that right there is a privilege. Mm. My grandpa in no way would ever know a bank owner. Mm -hmm. And she had to, at that moment, kind of like, I actually like, I think physically heard this like swallow, this gulp Mm -hmm. of, oh my gosh, that is something that is a privilege of mine. And I think it was really hard for her to take that on. And I'm glad that she was really open to the conversation, but I think people actually have to be open to that conversation in order to be able to like hear those things. Agreed. Yep. Otherwise it's just a wall. Yep. Yep. And I think what's hard is like some of these words, like it's instantaneous defense. Yes. And once that defense is up there, you really can't have a conversation. You're really not going to go anywhere. Right. Well, and you know, there's just some recent situations where, I've been become aware where we're using the term, you know, structural racism or, you know, talking about whiteness and folks getting really like, what are you talking about? Like, wait a second, are you going to erase me? Like, are you saying I don't belong here as as a white person? And what I really think so strongly about is that we have to 
we have to start using the words and defining them. So I really appreciate this opportunity because if we can't talk about what does that mean and what are all the things around it, then people do take offense and they don't have to be a part of the solution because they can just be mad and walk away and it's not their issue, right? But what we do or what's a little more palatable, I suppose, is we use words like diversity and tolerance and acceptance. And those are easier because then it's like, oh, well, you must be talking about that person over there, not me. And when we actually say whiteness, we have to deconstruct what does whiteness mean? We have to really examine that and understand where that comes from and take it out of an accusation to the person or help them sort of have this belief of, you know, how do we help people come along? You know, and I think there are many who just don't know how, but their heart is there, but they just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And then there are those who totally don't care, right? Yeah. So I think it's a, you know, there's certainly a balance, but how do we help those try to become part of the solution by being willing to be in the conversation? But it's hard. It really is. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that I know when I start to have this conversation, it's just like, you guys just need to get over it. <laughs> It's, it, you know, it's, it's 2019. Just get over it. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's so funny when I start having this conversation. It's like, you do realize there are people that are still alive that have direct connections to plantations. Yes. You realize that there's still people alive that were part of this community where they saw the signs that said, no dogs, no Mexicans. Right. These people still are living. It really wasn't as yes. far back as you think it was. Yes, exactly. And that's, well, that doesn't happen to happen today. Yes. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. You just don't get to see it because you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Well, can right. I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Number one, can you speak to this deconstruction of whiteness? And yes. I know that we didn't give this to you early. Okay. So, yeah. but can you help us deconstruct what, what is whiteness? What does that mean? And number two, in the Latino community, a lot of times there's this idea that, well, I'm Latino, so I'm not white. But there is a lot of like skin privilege within a lot of the Latino community. If you present lighter, if you can pass, you know, if you don't have to code switch because you're automatically those colors, your eyes are green, you know, those different things. Can you help us, number one, deconstruct what whiteness is? But two, how do you have a conversation with someone who may not feel that they have that privilege, understand that they do have that privilege? Yes, and this is right the complexity. So when we think about whiteness, it's kind of what we've been talking about, that systems are based on what is normal and who created our educational system. We got it from the Germans, right? So brought it to the U.S., higher ed at least anyway. Sorry, that's my context. So I that's live okay. in that place. <laughs> and so, you know, our um, capitalism as sort of somebody's at the top and somebody's got to be at the bottom, right? And so some of these things were created by the folks who were dominant at the time. And so once the indigenous people were moved out by Europeans coming in at a certain point in time, then there's a creation of those systems. So it's looking at whiteness is a, is a part of that, right? What is normal? And so I think deconstructing that to figure out, well, what does that mean? And so it's not necessarily about, so my white husband, right? We have these conversations all the time, which I love. You know, we can't help how we're born into the world in terms of our, our race, right? It's, it is. So so we have to think about, okay, at the individual level, people do things and are harmful to other people. But what is above or around all of that is the systemic things that keep it in place. So for folks who have privilege and whatever that looks like, 
it's too much work to push against it, right? If I don't have to think about getting into a building where the steps are closer to the sidewalk versus if I used a wheelchair, I have to go all the way around the building to get into the, to the door. I don't have to think about that. I go up the stairs and I'm there, you know, 10 minutes early than the person that's trying to go around. So I don't have to think about it, right? So how, what, how do I use my privilege in that place? Your next question was about within the Latino community sort of perception. So say it one more time, Chris. I'm... Colorism, right? Like right. I can pass, but I don't really recognize that because I only see myself as Latino. Right. How do you have that conversation to say, I mean, you look at telenovelas, it's all white people. Yes. You yes, know, right. you, you look at any real show, any news show, any, right? right. There's green eyed, light complected right. people. And those are the ones that are seen as knowledgeable. When you hear about natives, you know, in the past, it's Aztecas were these great things. Right. But then you hear about Taromaras and they're being treated as trash. So I guess, how do you have that conversation with someone who may not feel like they have that privilege, may not recognize that they have that lighter skin? Right. And can pass and yet they they are like, well, I made it. You should have made it too. Right. And it's really, I think, got a similar parallel to say the sense of whiteness in terms of white structural capitalist sort of the structures in which we live, education, those kinds of things, police, you know, all those sort of mm-hmm. um, related pieces. So whether it's that or within our own community where somebody who's light-skinned, doesn't have an accent, you know, works in corporate America. And maybe they're not at the top of corporate America, but they're, they still, there's a privilege that they have because of how they, how other people see them, right? And so I think that the conversation is hard. I think it's trying to help look at the comparisons of meritocracy, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, Mm -hmm. right? So within our own community to say, okay, well, yes, you made it, but what are the, what are the things that led to that? Um, and, and how do we see then other folks within our community and how they're struggling? How do we create equitable situations where we're helping each other? Because, see, here's the thing. Dominant structures break us apart. Mm-hmm. They get in the middle of that and they say, oh, well, you're better than this. Or we do it to ourselves in that way, too. And so thinking about how do we lift all boats, right? How do we help each other? Just like Rhonda said, I'm not that. Yeah, right? well, and this is a really... Big thing for me when we talk about immigration reform, Mm -hmm. because we always want to blame those with no power, no money. But it's like, if you really want to see immigration reform, follow the money. Yes. Find out who's making bank off of putting money into these detention centers. And they're the people that have the lobbyists that are talking in the ears of our politicians that would love things just to stay the same. But as long as you're blaming someone with no power and no money, then we just keep having these inner fights and nothing gets solved and we end up fighting each other while they keep making the decisions and the choices at the top and making money off of us fighting. (laughs) And that's structural racism right there. There's this idea that that's the path of least resistance. Let's just keep it the status quo. We don't want to have to do anything or lose anything, Mm -hmm. the idea of losing something. In a movie theater, you never see somebody during the middle of the movie bouncing a basketball in front of the screen, right? Right. Have you ever seen that? No. Would you ever think about doing it? No. No. Path of release resistance, that is not acceptable to do that. Right. And people would have an uproar. So much like what we're talking about in the structural racism, if you want things to stay the same, you don't push against that. One, it's too hard and people won't like it and you have to deal with that. And it's much like that same thing. What is socially acceptable in some areas, right? Or as we're talking about within community, across communities, that it's easier to do nothing than to stand up against doing something that's not 
socially acceptable. Because what if I lose something too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. The fear of that versus what, do we all gain more together than individuals losing something? But if we change the structure, well, somebody's well, and if, if we become smart enough to recognize that we actually have a lot in common yes. and we are both yes. suffering and if we can band together yes. and really change stuff at the top, I mean, I think that, yeah. and that's the fear. Right. And so as long as they keep us fighting yes. um, and entertain us at this very low level, Correct. the lowest level possible, Correct. then we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then you're too busy with each other then right. to, to deal with us. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's even like around climate change. It's like... The rich people at the top, they're already planning their escape. Yep. Or they're already planning where they're going to go or how they're going to protect themselves. And while we sit here and criticize each other yes. of who's not doing what, they're already planning that mm-hmm. and they make it sound like you're either pro-oil or you're against oil. Right. And you guys go have that fight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not done with that conversation already. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> We can go on for days, right? I think, with this exactly. conversation. I mean, geez, this is, this is a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, again, no one's having these conversations. Mm-hmm. And even like what we were just now talking about, even within the Latino community, we don't have these conversations. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, either you're not brown enough, you know, you don't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. so you must, you know, not really right. love your heritage or, or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So That otherness. Mm-hmm. Yes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and why the judgment and the criticism, right? Like, why does that have to be there? We all, the diversity is within our own community is so broad. And so why do we need to judge? There's lots of reasons why people do all kinds of choice. You know, one time I, somebody said, start speaking to me in Spanish. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. My Spanish is so uh, rough. And they said, well, why don't you speak Spanish? I'm like, well, telling the story about my dad, you know, getting punished in school. And so we never learned. She goes, well, can't you go learn by yourself? Like, you could take a class. And I'm like, oh, you're right. <laughs> That's okay. And, like, you know, it was a very sort of when shocking. You, when you go to that class, let me know because I want to go with okay. you. <laughs> right? And thank you yeah. for making decisions for me, oh, right? person. Right. Yeah, so this sort of, you know. But, yeah, that's not helpful to each other. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just unkind. Right. I agree. And so from the time that you started doing this kind of work, mm-hmm. I mean, do you see like we're moving forward? I always kind of feel like we take five steps forward and then eight steps backwards. Right. How do we get out of that? Yes. Is there a way to get out of that? You know, this is where I think it's easy to say, okay, I'm not going to deal with that today. Because it's so big to get our arms around and we feel almost helpless once we start thinking about what, what are the ways. It's very overwhelmed mm-hmm. because we see the things that are happening out there. And, you know, maybe it's the privilege of working in higher education most of my career. You know, I guess I see the, the beauty of students, right? Because as generations, and particularly a generation that's in, in college at this point in time, they're pushing the issue. They're more comfortable, and I'm generalizing, of course, but because communities are more diverse and there's more acceptance around all different types of identities and the intersectionality, they're often pushing, and it's not just the students of color or Latinos in general, it's an array of, of different identities. And so they're really pushing the issue, which I love because you know they have a lot of power to be able to, to make change. And so I think um, I'm watching faculty get engaged and, and faculty, you know, there's always, well, faculty don't care about this. That's not true. I mean, we've got folks from all the whole spectrum and who really want to be engaged and are, you know, putting programs together and bringing in speakers and, and wanting folks to come in and do some training with their staff. 
So I'm, I'm watching these things happen. And yet what we're seeing out there in the brutality of, you know, the CSU situation with the blackface, yeah. um, which can happen anywhere, right? We can see that when we're seeing all folks in the news about folks in, you know, when well, the 80s or 90s, they did this, you know, politicians or whomever. Oh, yeah. That made me sad. You know, uh, Trudeau. Justin Trudeau. Yeah. And so, you know, it, again, not thinking about what is the history and what is the the pain that comes from somebody making fun of somebody's culture that they can go wash off and never have to deal with what it's like to be a black individual in this country. And so I, I think we make progress and I was really proud of UNC students who went to CSU to support, who came back and, and had a lot of dialogue. And, you know, again, spectrum of students who are part of that movement. And I think for them, it pushes the envelope. Now, there are other sectors of folks who aren't engaging. And so how do we find a way to have some invitations? And it's slow because you got to start somewhere and it's building. You can't have the conversation we're having today as a first conversation with folks like, say, who work in a corporate America or even yeah. sometimes on campus, right? You've got to start minimally with folks who don't have any background. And then it's building. And so, you know, sometimes you just get the choir who comes instead of the folks who might really benefit. But I think my optimism in seeing it on campus, people want to be engaged. What can I do? How can I be a part of the solution? And those who might be brave enough to say, I don't really know how to deal with this. So can you help me? I need some help. It's like, you bet. What can we do? And I think the other thing is wanting to be certain privileged groups working with other privileged groups. I just had a conversation with some white men who are like, hey, what do you think about me inviting these other white men to a conversation? And we start having discussion, right? Because within group, you can talk about more, you can ask those questions you're afraid to ask somebody else. And could that further the conversation? And I think, you know, maybe do we do that with each other where we can particularly within community, to start having those conversations. Well, that's a really great transition because I wanted to ask, what are some techniques we can start to use as we start looking at these discussions or moving these discussions further? Mm -hmm. A lot of times people want to start with diversity and then it's like, okay, we recognize that there are differences between us. Now, what's that next step? So what are some of those techniques that we can use in community whether that's finding a group of allies to work with, a right. group of newcomers, or us speaking at, at a level that is welcoming to incomers, whatever that means. Sure. You know, I, th I think it's helpful in some ways to understand people's experiences. You know, sometimes even as simple as, like if you've got a group together, so share your name and what's the meaning behind your name? that like getting every voice in the room all our names have whatever there's a story behind our names generally of some kind right family whatever it is and so getting all the voices in the room it's sort of a you know we all have a name and so where did that come from and you know folks share that and then I think sometimes talking about there's something called an identity wheel and it, think about a, a wheel that's got different spokes on it and so talking about you know how does somebody identify what language do they use? You know, Latino, Hispanic, Latinx is the new word, yeah. right? So we're not gendering the term. So, you know, that's popular in, in some communities and other places like, well, I don't get what that is. And that's okay. We can talk about it, right? Yeah. So as folks kind of identify and, and talk about their backgrounds with stuff and how they see that stuff, I think it helps to provide a space for folks to share what their experiences is. And that way too, then we're not making judgments about people without knowing 
a little bit about them. Now I realize, you know, that again, that sort of base level, how do you come in and be invitational in the conversation? Or even as we're bringing folks together to say, it's okay to ask questions that you're uncertain about and being able to have those questions come out without a judgment. Like, wow, I can't believe you're asking that question. Because that happens sometimes. Like, oh, or it's maybe people don't say it's like, oh, this again. Or, you know, it's <laughs> or there, like the there face she or goes the again. Or... Yes. And then, <laughs> but it's like allowing people to be vulnerable. Exactly. And really setting that as an expectation because part of it's about learning. I think another thing I hear people, and, and I understand both sides of this, you know, well, it's not my job to educate. Like, I shouldn't have to educate other people within community or out because people should do their own homework. You have an internet, go look up stuff. I can appreciate we get tired of that sometimes. Like I gotta tell this person or somebody that looks like this person again, you know, like how many times do I have to have a conversation with a person, right? See, that's why you do a podcast because you can right. just direct them to the podcast. Exactly. Here's my link. Right, exactly. So instead it's, and so sometimes we get tired and we, we get done with a person. And how do we also, do we want to help further the conversation and help further the invitation to be a part of the solution? Or do we say, that's enough? And that's okay to say that's enough because sometimes you're just over it and you just can't. Sometimes it's a brick wall and you're not going to change somebody's mind. And sometimes we aren't going to change people's minds. All we can do is present the information, help them be a part of the conversation so we can move. But it's incremental steps. On a scale of 1 to 10, we want them to be at a 10. And if they maybe get to a two, that's good. But it takes a long time, and that's sometimes the, you know, we, we get tired, right? Yeah. It's um, battle fatigue. It's, um, there's a better word, but something fatigue. I don't know what that Fatigue. Fatigue, yeah. right? <laughs> just, we just, yeah. so we have to get, I'm just tired. We have to back away a little bit, you know, before we can come forward again. I think, you know, what you're talking about with the stories is really important. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I tell the story about my son, the one thing I also add is I did all the right things, too. You know, I graduated from high school. I've always worked. I pay my bills. I live in a house. I pay taxes. And I'm an elected official. And my son, who has grown up in this Mm -hmm. community, is treated this way. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you are okay with that, if you think that's okay... Mm -hmm then yeah, that tells me a lot about where we are in this discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's amazing how many people's faces are just like, what? And it's like, yeah, I'm here to tell you, mm-hmm. this is what happens. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I, you know, I, I'm articulate, I've been involved, right. I've shown up, I've right. fought, and this still happens to me. So what about that person who doesn't always feel comfortable who who might have an accent Mm -hmm. or who is not where I am Mm -hmm. how do they get treated in this community and so I think that's kind of part Mm -hmm. of that conversation Mm -hmm. and you kind of put it back on them you know Mm -hmm. what does that feel like Mm -hmm. what if you put yourselves in those shoes Mm -hmm. can you imagine Mm -hmm. what it feels like to be in this community Mm -hmm. and to be treated like that Mm -hmm. even though you've done everything you were supposed to do exactly yeah and it's disheartening I mean it's more than that, I mean, it's oppressive. It's discrimination. The notion of microaggressions, right? The notion that we're asked, well, what do all Latinos think about this political stance or whatever, right? And, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I don't know. I can't speak for the however many millions. You know, I can tell you my perspective. Or friends in the African-American community who wear braids and people saying, I was at Walmart and somebody came up and touched my hair. They didn't even ask me, which I would have said no, but they just felt like they could 
touch my hair and comment about my hair. And you know, those kinds of things happening over and over, those microaggressions are like mosquito bites. You get bitten and bitten and bitten. And, and, after, and then you get West Nile. Right? <laughs> totally. You just are over it. Like, yeah. And that's, yeah, and yeah. I kind of compare it to like, you know, you have this scar tissue that's yes. just still real raw. Yeah. And then every time it's like you just yes. open that wound all over again. And, yes. you know, it takes a while to heal again. And it's just, it's mm-hmm. it's frustrating. Yes. And it brings back a lot yes. from your childhood. And, it, you know, you're just kind of like reliving it over and over, over again. And, over. and I look at our young people. And I think of, you know, their brains aren't even fully developed yet. And in, the mo- in those instances that I get faced with that, I literally have to tell myself, okay, Rhonda, you can choose bitter or better. Mm-hmm. Choose better. Mm-hmm. But if you're a kid yep. and you feel like you've been doing everything right and yet you're still treated like that, I can see how making that decision would be really difficult. Yes. And you would almost get bitter and angry and stay in that space. Yes. And, and- and start to live what they tell you you are. Right. Because right. you keep trying this and you keep working at it and it's still not working. Right. Because we look at this deficit model. Again, what is normal is asset. What is not is deficit. And so after a while, you hear all this deficit. Latinos do this or don't do this or lazy, whatever all the stereotypes are out there. How do you not take that in at some point, which becomes right internalized oppression that we think we're not good enough and we feel inferior in certain situations where people are asking us ridiculous questions about explain this to me and it doesn't you know you're like ah, you know because yeah, you're exactly. sharing an example earlier so it's just a uh, and you know uh, really quickly I'll yeah. just share that when you're sharing this Rhonda it, it actually specifically reminded me of my dad one of the things that I never forget and I actually hear it in his accent in my yes. brain when I'm about to explode on someone is he says el que se enoja pierde he or she who gets angry loses. Mm-hmm. And so every time I'm about to give someone two chops to the throat, as we talked about <laughs> earlier, <laughs> I think that if I get angry, I lose. If I get bitter, I lose. And so I don't want to give that other person that power over me. And so I just kind of take that step back, swallow that pill, mm-hmm. right? And it's hard sometimes, but you got to like swallow that pill. And, and it's hard for... A 10-year-old, right? I remember hearing this at 10, at 6, at 8, to hear el que se enoja pierde Mm -hmm. and not do something about something. Right. But now having heard that and been conditioned in that way throughout my life, to be able to say, I as an adult, I can think differently, right? And I try to work with my nieces and nephews and with youth Mm -hmm. that I work with and just kind of give them that same perspective Mm -hmm. of don't give someone that power, Mm -hmm. don't get angry at someone. Mm -hmm. And still trying to understand that, you know, at that level, not being completely developed to just like want to scream mm-hmm. or well, cry or, or. There was a guy and I, I feel bad because I can't remember his name, but we used to do some community work and he, he said this the best way I could even fathom. But he always said, if that person that just made you that angry was to come to your door and ring your doorbell, would you open up the door and invite him into your mm. house? And the, you know, the kid would say No. Okay, well, you just let him into your most sacred house, and that's your heart and your mind. If you wouldn't let him into your house, 
don't let him into your most sacred house. And that's, that's, yeah. And that is powerful. Isn't it? Isn't it? And it really puts it in perspective. And it's like, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's right. He's right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Katrina, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Do you have a hope for the future? <laughs> Hopefully that's a yes. Um, you didn't answer that question at the beginning. I don't really remember what that one was yet. But is there anything that you would like to share with us that you haven't already shared? I do have hope. And I, I guess I'm thinking about kind of been in, in, in this realm of work for the last 25, 30 years. And I guess I've watched how we used to talk about it back in the day. And it, we're more becoming more sophisticated about how we talk about it, about understanding more structural aspects and being and thinking about and I think being bolder and braver about calling things what they are. You know, that if something is in the realm of sexism, you know, Let's call it that. Let's talk about what that means. And I think there's so many who want to understand how to make it different, how to how to be different. And I also feel like that's different. Um, it's still hard. There are times we have to retreat and restore and then come back out again. And I, I guess I think that we also learn from each other. And so being able to then understand how other people's stories, other people's ways of being, we become more open and Now I realize that's a generalization and that's not everywhere. And I think that as we become more diverse as a country, I think that we have more opportunities to learn and to understand other people's stories. And once we do that, then my assumption or maybe my personal experience is that I I start to understand more and I start to then want to know more. And I want to learn for myself, not always going to that person to say, teach me about this, right? <laughs> and trying to do my homework and then coming with some questions. So I'm reading this and what is your experience? Not your whole culture or, or sexual orientation or whatever, yeah. Yeah. but help me, help me to know. So I guess I feel hopeful. I'm a hopeful person. I think if I didn't feel hopeful, I don't really know what I would do. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm making all this up to feel better, but I find Tequila my... Tequila helps. Right, exactly. <laughs> So I guess I feel like things are shifting and I, I truly think our young people That's what I was gonna say. Don't you just feel like they yes, get it? Like a lot do. of our youth just get it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think access to so much, you know, internet and Netflix and we were talking about, you know, this show earlier, there's there's a way for them to plug in in a way that they've always done because this generation of students are they're used yeah. to growing up with technology. And so they're they're able to broaden in ways that I would, you know, we we're talking about the older generations mm-hmm. where that's not, you know, if they're not exposed to it, they're not going to necessarily feel different. I think what's great about Google, you know, talking about this online platform right. is that you're able to be vulnerable mm-hmm. by yourself, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of times that I'm like, I didn't know that word. And then I go and right. I look it up myself and then I'm yes. like, okay, now I understand that. And like you said, it just adds to my perspective. It yes. adds to my my toolkit, my skill set. Yes. And, I, and I was able to explore that on my own. Well, we definitely want to thank you for joining us today and participating in this, our third episode. Yes. <laughs> uh, we're honored to, and privileged to have your expertise and insight on our show. And this conversation has been amazing. And I feel like it's something that we need to continue to do. And so maybe we'll have you back again. We'd love to. We'd love to have you on again. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And thank you for being a creator at UNC. I think that's very important. And when I think of how many kids you affect and that, you know, that ripple effect, you know, you have an important job and, and we appreciate what you do. Oh, that's so kind. Thank Truly. you. It's a, it's definitely a love. So any chance we get to work with 
folks and help them see their own possibilities. That's what sort of makes the world go around for me. So thank you for your kindness. That's, and thanks for letting me be here. This was fun. Well, we had a blast. So. <laughs> in this episode, we also wanted to highlight some of the organizations that are doing this work in Northern Colorado, especially as we wish to act as a resource to all of our listeners. I'll go ahead and start. The Latino Community Foundation of Colorado, which is committed to creating inclusive and thriving communities rooted in equity, has done this work throughout our state and so highlighting them for sure. And I'd like to highlight El Frente de la Lucha here in Greeley. I mean, they've been around for decades and they're dedicated to the struggle for self-determination and liberation of all oppressed people. An organization that I recently connected with was Intercambio Comunidades mm -hmm. out of Longmont and mm -hmm. Boulder County. And they work to provide English language education, resources, and training for newcomers and new Americans in building meaningful connections and building cultural awareness as they inspire confidence in that Longmont and Boulder area. And a huge organization that I feel has really opened my eyes to culture and just kind of made me love my culture again and reintroduce it is Hispanic Women of Well County. Mm. And they've been recognizing, you know, powerful Latinas in our community for over 30 years and giving out scholarships to non-traditional students. And I think of some of the speakers that we've had come in and this year we'll have Dolores Huerta. So we're really yes. excited about that. So but it's just been this amazing group of women that are now my tias and my, my fill-in moms now that I lost my mom and, you know, my hermanas. And they are my go-to group. And they have just been so amazing and I, they, you know, I have to give them a shout out. They've been doing amazing work. So next month, we're eager to host Shannon Hine. She's the senior business specialist from the city of Fort Collins and their office of economic health. As we learn about the work that the city of Fort Collins is doing in engaging and empowering Latina OX small business owners and working with them to grow that population. One that they're open to it. Yeah. That's really a huge so thing. So exciting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. See, this is how it starts. <laughs> so let us know what you think about our episodes, and we look forward to connecting soon here at Latino Northern Colorado. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.